Time to catch up now with our visiting lawyer, Andrew Andrea from Andrea Dome. And today we're talking about BFAs, binding financial agreements, that bit of paper that could come in really handy in a relationship breakdown. If you've got a question for Andrew, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Andrew, welcome again. Thank you. Is a binding financial agreement the same thing as a prenup, or are they more general than that? Uh, well, prenup's sort of a common term that, that's developed, I think, probably out of the US, but uh, there actually wasn't a concept of a prenup in Australia until relatively recently. Um, and under the Family Law Act, they're referred to as binding financial agreements or BFAs. So it, it is the same thing. What sort of things would you consider including in a BFA? Well, it's it's quite um, prescriptive as far as what you can include. The, the, the whole purpose of a BFA is is so a couple can agree up front on how they'll divide their property if their relationship breaks down or even if their relationship has broken down. So it really is about, it's, it's a, an agreement about a financial splitting of property. So the things that you can include, um, include who's going to get what property or who's not going to get share in certain property. And you can also include things in relation to spousal maintenance. So basically periodic payments after the breakdown in the relationship from one partner to the other. I guess as people have got married older, they've brought more assets to to a relationship, to a partnership, uh, these sort of things have become more popular. And I guess particularly in the scenario where one partner may have you know, substantially more assets and the other person comes with you know, an empty wallet or an empty purse to the, to the relationship, it's something you might want to consider. Yeah, that's, that's definitely right. And I think that um, it's not the sort of topic that people necessarily bring up when mm. they're getting married the first time in their when 20s. you're all loved up. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I think, you know, definitely the second time around or when people are getting married later in life where they might have had, um, you know, some de facto relationships or, or uh, you know, certainly established a lot more, um, uh, you know, different assets or they might have a business or they might have actually received inheritance from their family. Um, and it's, um, it is circumstances where people are, happy to reflect on, once again, the exit, I guess, um, as a, at the time of, of forming a relationship so that they can avoid um, the disputes. And, and also, I think sometimes by having a discussion up front, um, you can actually take away the suspicion and the, the sort of, oh, you know, I wonder what will happen mm. um, because you've agreed what's happened so that you can just get on with the relationship and the rest of the family can relax and, and get on with the relationship. As we discussed when we talked about uh, co-investing with family or friends in property a few weeks ago, that's right. you've got to be mindful of how you might get out of the scenario, worst case scenario, should it play out. Correct, and, then, and it can often avoid that the exit because you, you've taken that element out of the relationship by talking about it up front. 18 to 5 on 891 Drive with Michael Smith. With me in the studio, our visiting lawyer, Andrew Andreev. If you've got a question about how all this works, we're talking about binding financial agreements, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Andrew, Kim on our text line has a question. What happens if a prenup has been made under duress, if the bride was pregnant or drunk or a bit mad at the time? Well, there's, there's a number of... Uh, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, th I think that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I suppose it, it raises a point well, under what sort of circumstances a prenup may be signed. Absolutely, yeah. There, there's, there's legislative safeguards to stop that sort of thing happening. So both parties need to receive independent legal advice before they can sign it and before it'll become binding. And if, as a lawyer involved in that process, you have quite a high duty of care to make sure that the person signing understands exactly what's going to happen. So it's it's quite a confronting process for people to go through when they um, receive their independent legal advice. Um, so that's really the first step. But there are a number of safeguards built in so that if your circumstances change significantly, that's one of the uh, potentials to, to unwind the prenup. And also because it's a financial agreement, it's actually a contract and ordinary principles of contract do actually come into play and duress is, is one of the 
basis on which you can challenge a contract. So those those concepts are imported into these agreements. So your advice is it's very much worthwhile paying the money to get a lawyer involved. Could you draw up some sort of agreement yourselves and maybe have a third party witness it? Would that stand up? Or uh, no, is, is the one of the safeguards is that um, you can certainly draw it up yourself, and there's kits that you can you can look to for that purpose, and and it's a, it's a good way to get a, a head start on on getting your mind around the issues. But ultimately, both parties, so it's going to involve two lawyers, both parties need to receive clear independent advice, and those lawyers then need to give a certificate, and both certificates then need to accompany the binding financial agreement. So it is one of those um, things that you can't avoid getting, and unfortunately in this case, two lawyers involved instead of just one. So... uh, uh, yeah, I guess people are always mindful about the cost of these sort of things, but at the end of the day, if the worst-case scenario does eventuate and you have to rely on this BFA, mm. the good news is that you don't have to go to court, so there are some cost savings there. Well, that's right, yeah. So if you don't have a BFA, there is a, there's a, you're really falling back on other provisions of the Family um, Law Act, and uh, one of them is that you can agree and obtain consent orders, and once again, you're agreeing, so you're avoiding a lot of the costs that can be associated with disputes, but you still then need to go to court. You need to pay an application fee, um, and then the court has to consider whether your what you've come up with is fair and reasonable. If that doesn't, if you can't agree, so you haven't made a BFA and you can't agree on consent orders, then you need to fall back on a, a proper dispute process, which you actually apply to the court for for a property order, and that um, is usually a, a very expensive process. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you've got a question for Andrew this afternoon, it's sixteen to five on eight nine one drive with Michael Smith. What about spousal maintenance? Is that something you're likely to to incorporate in a BFA, this idea of making a regular payment from one partner to the other? Is that normally specified? Um, It's something that can be specified and is, in a number of cases, it is specified. But um, in my experience, it's it's either something that's introduced by the lawyer suggesting, you know, have you considered this issue? Most of the ones that we see um, initially, the parties are really focused on specific assets. You know, so-and-so is going to get this, so-and-so is going to get that. The issue of maintenance is generally brought up as part of the process of review, um, and it's not always included. So um, it's it's a harder thing to... People can be... It's easier to make decisions about assets that you can kick and touch, Mm. whereas the concept of a long-term obligation to make maintenance is something that at the beginning of a relationship can actually be something quite hard to get your head around. What are some of the things that you couldn't include in a BFA? I'm presuming you know, custody of kids and things like that That's could correct, not yeah. be prescribed. Yeah, so so the custody issue is something that, that, that can't be um, prescribed. Um, and child maintenance arguably can be an incidental issue that you can bring into them. And you, it certainly the, the, the cost of child maintenance can be taken into account and sometimes provided for. Um, but that generally is subject to a separate um, child maintenance agreement. And that's a whole area on its on its own. But we we mentioned yeah. the issue of you know potentially signing these things under duress, but I'm also wondering whether they can be challenged down the track. Could one party argue that you know things have changed substantially in the relationship in terms of who's brought assets to to, to the partnership since that initial agreement was made? Can you can you mount those sort of arguments? Yeah, the the policy is that um, they're meant to withstand challenges. They're meant to be very durable documents because. People enter into them and they have an expectation that they're going to hold up. And that was certainly the intent of Parliament when they brought these things into effect. They're a very powerful document. But there are checks and balances in there. So, you know, um, as you talked about duress or or the one, the main issue is that you need to make a full disclosure of your assets. Both parties need to tell each other exactly what they've got so that they can make an informed decision about the division of property. Often people, if they come into a relationship, you know, later in life, they might have assets stashed in a trust or something like mm. that. They don't make full disclosure of that, and that, that can become, if it's a material non-disclosure, um, it can open the agreement up. So you really have to go in very open, bona fide about, you know, telling it how it is. 
And then there's there's there are a few other um, if your if your circumstances have changed materially, then um, the court will say, look, this document doesn't make sense. It's not practical mm. in in the context that your relationship has now is now in. And obviously, the longer the relationship lasts, the more chance that your circumstances are going to have changed materially. So. Yes, um, it's a very active area of law and there are, there are bases for challenge, but I think if you're entering into these things, you need to understand that the legislative intent is that this is going to bind you and it's a very serious document for that reason. Andrew, thanks very much again for coming in and for your free advice. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks. Pleasure. Thank you. Andrew Andreev, Principal of Andreev Doman on 891 Drive with Michael Smith.